This is the Thrive Podcast with Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. And now, Pastor Fred Jeff Smith. Hello, welcome to the 16th edition of the Thrive Podcast with the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. I'm Fred Jeff Smith, pastor of Shiloh, and I'm very happy for you taking the time to either view or listen uh, to this week's uh, edition of the podcast. Uh, I'm also delighted once again to have the Minister of Christian Education uh, here at Shiloh uh, as my guest, who also happens to be my beautiful wife, Demetria Lavelle Jones-Smith. And uh, I thought it would be good to have uh, Demetria back today so that we could talk about some things relevant to upcoming events here at Shiloh, but also to uh, talk in theological terms about certain things that are taking place in our community and in our nation. So, Demetria, thank you for taking the time to come back and share with us today. We're glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Let's talk about Shiloh first. Uh, As we are recording this, we are about a month out from Uh, summer camp for Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. And if you're living in the Baton Rouge area and you have children uh, in grades kindergarten through eight, we would certainly love... Pre-K. Pre-K, excuse me. Pre-K through through eight. eight. Uh, We would certainly love to have the opportunity to work with your children this summer in our Shiloh summer camp. Uh, You are now in your fourth year as director of the summer camp. Talk to us about that experience. Oh, well, summer camp is just a a wonderful uh, summer. I don't know uh, what you call it, just a jolt of electricity with with all the kids being here. This is my fourth year, as you said, that I have been the director of summer camp. And we have some new things on tap this year for summer camp 2018. First of all, uh, we have always uh, had a about a hundred kids, maybe a little less the last couple of years, um, a, a few uh, less. Uh, but this year we're excited because there's a camp that um, was operating in another location and they asked two years ago to come under our umbrella and to fold their kids into our program and we weren't able to do it last year. But this year we're able to do it and so one of our church members um, is working with that, and she's coming in on staff with us, Ida, and uh, we're really excited so that we're really going to have a good number of kids this summer, and we're excited. Uh, so we're probably going to be double our capacity this year. That's so fabulous. That's pretty good. It really is. It means it'll be busy, but, but we're but excited. But also, uh, I think that it's important that people recognize that summer camp is not just a place where you drop kids off and they run around and play all day, but that you actually have a structured curriculum, a structured program uh, that the children will be involved in. Very much so. Our goal with summer camp is to make sure that kids are exposed to both academics and enrichment all summer long. This year we go for 10 weeks. And we want to make sure that during this time, uh, this summer uh, time, the, the time that the kids are away from the classroom, that they don't lose uh, um, some of the information that they've gained. It's estimated uh, that kids can lose as much as 
teachers, I think it's 2.8 months of learned instruction over the summer. And so our goal is twofold. We want to help kids retain the information that they uh, learned the previous academic year and get them ready to uh, go into the new year, into their rising grade, and to do so on um, a, a wonderful footing. And so in the morning, we have academics and uh, math, reading, science, social studies, uh, language arts. And then in the afternoon is when we have our enrichment activities. So music, dance, um, uh, physical education, where we're getting the kids out of um, just sitting, but 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 being involved in moving. And all of our academic instruction is by certified uh, teachers who work either in the EBR system or other schools around our area. And so students are taught by certified teachers who are excited about teaching. You know, we, we, we don't have teachers who are tired uh, uh, of teaching. That by the time they get to the summer, they don't have anything left to give. No, we want teachers that are enthusiastic, who love kids, and really want to make sure that our kids bridge the summer and that they start the new year ready. So while we're not trying to make it that the kids are uh, uh, in school, that's not the goal, because we know kids get tired too. Their job is to be a student, and so we don't want to um, bore them with academics, but we want to make sure that they're uh, invigorated and excited about what they've learned and what they can retain over the summer. And then we do so with a little twist. So uh, we find ways to integrate uh, the academics into enrichment and vice versa, and then introduce them to new things. So we're really excited uh, this year. I'm, I'm especially excited about how we're going to be able to integrate the idea of uh, ecology and food theology into the summer program uh, with our community garden. A lot of people don't know that Shiloh has a community garden. And over the last couple of years, it's kind of fallen into, uh, I don't want to say disrepair, but we're revamping it. And so it's it's very important to me that kids understand where their food comes from, the idea of food production. And I believe that when they know that, they have a better sensitivity towards food insecurity and um, also uh, a sensitivity towards um, the creative agency that is uh, inherent in God's creation. And so they get to be a part of uh, uh, getting their hands dirty, so to speak, and, and being connected to the earth. And so there's a way that you can integrate uh, the idea of ecology and, and agriculture and food science into uh, language arts, into science, definitely, into social studies, just talking about the history of African Americans with the cultivated earth. And so really excited about uh, the things that we're going to be doing this summer, 10 weeks. Kids have field trips every week and uh, just doing some exciting things. Let's go back just a, just a bit. You used, you merged two words into a term that I'm not sure everyone is familiar with, uh, food theology. Mm -hmm. uh, theology, of course, uh, has to do with the study of, of God. Mm -hmm. uh, as my professor, Fisher Humphrey, used, used to say, it's just a big word that means thinking about God. Yes. But, but you merge yes. that with the idea of food. Elaborate a little bit more on food theology. Well, we often don't think about this, but in particularly in the church is talking about practical lived experience. A lot of what we do uh, surrounds fellowship. Think about when we have um, a funeral mm -hmm. and the repast and how important that is to the family and, and the fellowship. But it goes beyond just the idea of hospitality in churches. It has to do with the fact that when you think about it in terms of the Bible and in Genesis, uh, the 
very beginning, it says that God created um, humankind uh, and God put humankind in the story of Adam or Adam and Eve, put Adam, um, the, them in the garden to work until the earth. Mm -hmm. And so that the relationship between what you eat and tending the earth is not just an arbitrary thing, but the earth is God's creation, obviously. So the idea of food theology is connecting um, our understanding of God being in all things, even what we consume in our bodies. And, and so there's a whole area in the realm of theological enterprise or thought that deals with food and, and not just as a social justice issue, mm -hmm. uh, food security, but what is a theology of food and, and how does that relate to our everyday living? And, and it's centered in, in scripture. Mm -hmm. It's an interesting concept. It food. Is. Theology. Yeah, food theology. Uh, or theology um, of food. Well, uh, it, it gives you a different way of thinking about food, and therefore uh, it changes the way that you think about the consumption of, mm -hmm. of food as well. Uh, yes. So I, I, I just found that to be an interesting thing to latch on to. And even beyond that, uh, there's a whole movement, and this is nothing new. I mean, I, I grew up, my grandfather had a whole lot next to the family home uh, that was a garden. He was from North Louisiana, and so he was he learned how to farm at a very young age and brought that with him to Missouri. But more than that, churches, um, faith-based communities, whether they be churches or synagogues or even um, Muslim temples, you have this movement that people are understanding that poverty exists not because there's not enough to go around. Poverty exists because uh, we, we don't will it away, meaning we don't do what we need to do in a distribution of resources in this country, in this world, to ensure that food makes it to everyone who needs it. And so there's this movement among faith-based communities to connect their congregations to the earth. Mm -hmm. And in doing so, they make sure that they have access to quality um, grown produce and food, because you have some faith communities that are working with ranchers and 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 growing eggs mm -hmm. and having their own hens and things like that. But our way that they can ensure that their congregation gets quality produce, quality food, and they know where it comes from. And so it's all the circle in many ways of. Um, the circle that was started in the Bible in Genesis with creation that we're all connected together. So you have faith communities all over the country, uh, black, white, just people who are worried about um, people having access to good quality food and then taking the, the means of production or ownership back into their own hands and mm -hmm. so that they can create their own community gardens, their own food co-ops that they, you know, you might not end up having to go to the grocery store for everything, that you can create your own network of food. And that way you know where, you know where your food's coming from, mm -hmm. but also that you have a greater amount of self-determination with regards to making sure that your congregation gets adequate food, you know, because... You, you say poverty does not exist because there's a lack. I would uh, go so far as to say Poverty exists to create lack so that uh, in a capitalistic society, uh, certain people can exploit the lack yes. in order uh, to become wealthy. Uh, 
to become wealthy and keep certain groups of people from having access to what well, they yeah, need. That's so where then the exploitation they stay, comes right. From. So then they stay dependent. Mm. How else do you explain a, a country that pays people to not grow food? Yes, pays uh, for for farms and and fields to stay fallow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And how else do you explain that in the wealthiest, most successful country in the history of the earth? that there are people who go to bed hungry every night uh, in, in the total of millions. Uh, so the, the whole idea of capitalistic exploitation uh, as it plays itself out in food uh, as well as in other uh, aspects of our lives is a very real thing that the church uh, must continue to address. Uh, I, I, I dare not say that the church needs to find new ways to address because uh, you address it, it's just that so often your voice is drowned out by the other voices uh, that seem to prevail over you. Uh, as we're sitting here, uh, the most recent uh, jobs numbers came out today. Yes. And uh, 164,000 jobs, I believe, were added uh, across the nation, uh, and people were uh, shouting hoorays because and the, percentage. Uh, the uh, mm-hmm. unemployment uh, level dropped in this nation below four percent, three point nine percent, and and someone was saying to me a minute ago, "Aren't those great numbers?" And 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 my response was, uh, "Go to Scotland Square, uh, yes. in North Baton Rouge, and tell people that unemployment is at three point nine percent, and then come down to Eddie Robinson Drive." and stand at Eddie Robinson and Government Street and say that unemployment is 3.9%, and then go to South Boulevard yes. and say that unemployment is 3.9% and see what your response is going to be to that. Those numbers do not reveal uh, the realities of uh, unemployment and therefore poverty uh, and denied access not just to food, but to health care, uh, right. to health insurance, uh, to a living wage, uh, to academic opportunities that persist because uh, we live in a capitalistic society uh, that exists because a small number of people have a lot and the masses of people have little to nothing. Yes, uh, now, the masses. You know, you're not going to change the economic system of the United States, but the church cannot just become comfortable with the reality uh, that there are uh, masses of people who have little to no access to good, nutritious food at reasonable prices in the areas where they live on a daily basis. Yes. And, and again, that, that picks up on the whole idea of the term that you use, food theology. Mm-hmm. There, there is a theology to food. The argument can be made that there's a theology to everything. But the question becomes, will the church actually speak out on the everything that there is a theology attached to? Will it speak out and not just speak out, but move from uh, rhetoric and words to action? in order to change the dynamic of what's out there. So we know that we we live in a community where food deserts exist, and they're not 20 miles away. No. They're <laughs> right a quarter outside. of a mile away, right outside the doors of the church. And so if you have this kind of food in, um, 
inequality, if you have these food deserts where people may not have a grocery store that's near them, and, you know, if they don't have transportation, what are they supposed to do? So they have to go to the corner store. Well, you're not going to get the, the, the freshest produce. You're not going to get um, the the best meat or, or the freshest eggs or whatever it is you need, and it's going to be at a premium price. Right. And so... Um, the idea of food theology is that we understand that everything, you know, the earth is the Lord's <laughs> and its fullness thereof, as it says right. in Psalms. And so that if this is God's, then as caretakers and stewards of God's creation, and that's what we are, really, that's what that Genesis, uh, that, that, that Genesis piece deals with, the fact that we are caretakers. Um, as caretakers or stewards of the creation, how do we ensure that everybody has access to what they need? And what are the things that we have to do in a capitalistic society to kind of upend that? And so for me, it's working in any way we can uh, to make sure that we eradicate food insecurity. Now, because it's good, you know, Shallow's involved with, we feed the hungry. We do that. But we have to move beyond just feeding. Yes, we have to feed in the hungry and clothe the naked. But beyond that, we have to figure out the means to, in some ways, um, create new systems where then the hungry are able to feed themselves. Yes. And we help bring about that. So this is why there's this movement uh, of faith community saying, we can go back to the earth. <laughs> we can farm mm-hmm. ourselves. Mm-hmm. We can raise our own produce ourselves mm-hmm. and, and, and be seasonally based. And it will also help with the idea that we have the rising epidemics of diabetes, of obesity in our community because people don't have access to quality food. Mm-hmm. And so this is not just about making sure that people uh, have access to food. It's also finding ways to heal our bodies through what we eat and through what we consume. Sure, mm-hmm. sure. Uh, with regard to the academic piece, and, and I'm going to leave summer camp after this, uh, and, and you made the point that uh, the certified teachers who work uh, summer camp here at Shiloh uh, are not fatigued uh, to the point that they can't uh, provide uh, quality instruction uh, with energy and enthusiasm in the time that they're here. Uh, I have long, I'm not an education professional. Uh, so for the education professionals who are about to hear what I'm about to say, uh, just take into account that I'm not an education professional. By the same token, uh, if we're 49th in education in this nation uh, as a state, if Louisiana routinely ranks at or near the bottom in education in this state year after year after year, would it not behoove us to think in terms of approaching education uh, in a different manner than this uh, archaic agrarian approach that we have where we're in school for nine months and out for three. That's not based on a desire for people to learn. That's based upon a need for workers to go out into the field right. and, and work farms with their parents in order to bring in harvest. And well, a lot of people don't realize shock of shocks. Left over. Yeah. I ain't never worked no farm <laughs> in, in the summertime no, because, because we didn't have any land to work. Right. But we're still operating under an agrarian system that at least in the state of Louisiana does not meet the needs 
of our children. I'm shifting. I'm using summer camp as a basis to shift to a different conversation, mm-hmm. and that is about education uh, in this state. You know, Shiloh has a summer camp. I venture to say that there are probably 100 churches across this community that will have their own versions of a summer camp, and many of them will have an academic component attached to it. Added to that, many of the public schools this summer will be operating, and school will be in session. In many cases, there will be remedial courses Mm -hmm. that are going to be offered for for children who did not do well over the nine-month period of time that they were in school, and they're going to be expected to make up in three months what they did not do in the previous nine months. Hey, here's an idea. Why don't we go to year-round schooling? And why don't we make it a goal to get children through uh, an academic school year in a 12-month span of time rather than in a nine-month span of time. Year-round schooling works in other areas of the country. And it works why, in other places in the world. Why has Louisiana not embraced that? And I'm not asking you to defend Louisiana. I'm asking you to think in terms of, because you, you have an academic's heart, uh, and, 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 and you, you're deeply invested in scholarship. Why don't we approach education differently than the way that we are, if the goal is to actually educate? I don't know why that is. And again, I'm not trained in K through 12 education per se. I come from a long line of educators, as you well know, uh, in K uh, through 12 instruction, early um, education all the way through uh, secondary. But what I would say is that I just think we have to rethink the model of education, period, not just for Louisiana, because while Louisiana might be 49th, but there's a 48, there's a 47, there's a 40, you know. So, and I say that to say that perhaps we need to look at how we instruct our children period in this country and consider that the model that we have may not be as effective as it is for everybody. I'm not talking for the top 10 or 20 percent who go, who would do well wherever they were in whatever circumstance I'm talking about. But looking at is the model working? And, you know, you have the conversation back and forth. Charter schools, no charter schools, magnet programs, no magnet programs. But the point is all of our kids need to be educated and prepared for life. So if that means maybe we do consider as other places in the world, year-round education. And you have uh, four quarters and maybe it would be you get two and a half weeks off or two weeks off. Um, I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility if in fact that means that we are looking at different ways to make sure that our kids get what they need. However, if all we do is change the the timing of the system and don't change any of the other issues that I affect grant the system, you, you have to do then, more than you know. That. But picking up on the statistic that you used earlier, that in 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 the time that you are out of school from one from the end of one school year to the beginning of another, uh, that months. you lose two point eight months of education, which means that you spend the first period of the new school year, yes. just trying to get children to, to catch up mm-hmm. and remember what they were supposed to have learned the last time around. And since we also know that in many of these situations, uh, uh, 
not real teaching is going on anyway. Uh, much of what's going on is teaching to the test, uh, the mm-hmm. standardized test, mm-hmm. uh, where children are, are being uh, taught how to score well on tests, but they're losing the ability to write. They're losing uh, to, the, the to ability think to critically. Read. They're yes. losing the ability to think critically. Write, read, and then, just have the, critical then, thinking Then skills. perhaps we need to look at how we do this uh, all over again. And if the church is to play a role in that, trying to bring it back to uh, a church setting, uh, then when we're talking about church schools yes. uh, that, that exist or that want to exist, that want to burst on the horizon, then these church schools have to do more than just be an alternative to a public school. Uh, but the church schools have to offer something uh, that is grander in scope uh, than, than, than just we're an alternative to a public school and you'll, you can pray here. And, and, right. and because you pray here, that makes our school better. It has Truth to be Truth of the matter is, I went to public different. school, and, and, and public school never stopped me from praying. All public school said was that you couldn't play, pray publicly. And the truth is, down here in the South, they did it anyway. And nobody ever said anything yeah. about it. But if we're going to be serious about education, and, and, and just like there is a food theology, there is an academic theology mm-hmm. or, or, an, or an educational theology that is attached to this, too, because you can only excel uh, at a rate that is proportionate to your ability uh, to uh, be educated and, and, and to pursue the opportunities that education will allow you. And I'm the first person to admit, uh, educated don't mean smart, and smart doesn't mean educated. But in American like society... prepared. But in American society today, education opens doors of opportunities to people that you will not ever see opened if you don't have a formal education. Mm -hmm. But once the door is open, you have to be able to do more than answer A, B, D, E, C, as you would do on a standardized test. You have to be able to do more than say true, false, as we do on so many of our tests today. Children today can't write. Don't know what grammar is. Don't know how to punctuate a sentence. Don't know how to do subject-verb agreement. Don't know how to diagram a sentence because if you know how to diagram a sentence and you fully understand how uh, how grammar works and you're able to use it and know why you're using it the way you're using. And these things mm-hmm. should matter, uh, especially in in terms of developing. Uh, the ability to, as you say, think critically, and I would probably add, think creatively. Uh, There is a lack of creativity uh, that exists in so many of our children with regard to the ability to think. Now, they can be creative with a a device in their hands, but that's not the same as individual creativity. It is being stunted Mm -hmm. uh, uh, through, through the current academic process. And the church needs to first speak out about that and second, seek to develop ways to respond to that. Well, 
I agree with what you're saying. And you said the church needs to speak out and then develop ways to respond or develop new models. It can't be, as you said, that you have uh, churches that do their own schools and the only difference is, oh, well, you can pray or this will be a place where you're not allowed to misbehave or fight or cuss or do uh, whatever other things that, that people do. No, we have to consider, particularly in the African-American community, um, that should there be another model of instruction so that if you're able to have an independent school at a church, um, what does that look like? And have you thought through what are the issues that are plaguing our school systems? And have we determined and developed a model that can, can actually proactively kind of dismantle some of the problems because we're doing it in a different way. Mm -hmm. We're thinking about education in a creative um, uh, way. And, and I agree that just like with the food theology, or the, uh, we have to look at education differently and consider how do we prepare our kids for life? And you're right, a standardized test doesn't do that. And so we have to bring the best minds, those who have, have been in education, those who study education, those creative people who wanna build a brave new world, so to speak, in, in this arena, and figure out, you know, maybe it's time to, as Jesus, turn over the tables but completely up in the paradigm and do something different and something fresh. Not that you don't, there are tried and true principles of, of, of teaching that never go out of style, mm -hmm. but that, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about how do we fix the model so that then teachers who love to teach who are excited about teaching are loose to do that as opposed to just be disciplinarians right. or just be people who have to now teach to a test. Because right. teachers will tell you, because they say it all the time, um, as I'm teaching to prepare kids for standardized testing, you know, I'm teaching to the test and I know that they're not retaining the principles and the information that they're supposed to take. We took standardized tests, mm -hmm. but we were, I was taught and I'm a product of public schools. Mm -hmm. uh, I was taught the important principles and ways to critically think so that regardless of how the test would play out, it, because I knew the principle, because I knew how to think critically, how to deconstruct a question, then mm -hmm. I'd be able to answer the question regardless whether it was essay, uh, uh, multiple choice, true, false, because I understood how to critically think about what is being presented to me. And so I agree, we need to look at and consider if the model's broken, don't just do the same thing in a different spot. How about we need to look at what is the model of education and, and doing something differently? But again, it's kind of like dealing with the food piece. As churches are taking on ownership of producing their own food and 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 cutting out middle uh, middle marketers, middle persons between the the source of uh, production and the source of consumption, we need to do the same thing with education. Which means the churches who have the resources, whether it be an individual church, a group of churches, um, perhaps need to say, we want to look at this and bring the best and brightest minds to this educational um, endeavor. And how can we change the, the, the dynamic and come up with a new model yeah. and do so collectively? It, it's going to take a consensus of uh, progressive uh, thought uh, tempered with traditional uh, 
teaching methodologies uh, that are heightened to a, a place of excellence. It, in too many cases, what I see in in church-based schools uh, are churches that are rebelling against the public school system uh, and seeking to to say I can do it better or I can teach myself. Uh, and there's little in the way of progressive thinking uh, that takes place. And there's little in the way of progressive energy in those who are actually asked to do mm-hmm. the instruction. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the 4th District had a school for a brief period of time, had a, had a, uh, a secondary school that, that we operated for about four or five years, but it uh, was not able to sustain mm-hmm. itself. Uh, because, uh, number one, there was an economics problem. It was a private uh, school? Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it was called Christ's Way Academy. Uh, uh, and it operated out of our headquarters, which was located on Prescott Road uh, uh, here in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Uh, it, it was a well-intended effort. But uh, part of the problem with Christ's Way Academy, uh, and I have seen it in other uh, endeavors, whether it be the charter school or uh, private schools, uh, is that in many cases, because the economics of uh, schools of education are so great, uh, you had to ask f- for teachers to come out of retirement and mm-hmm. and serve as instructors. And we're talking about people who are in their 60s and Mm -hmm. their 70s, and they're being asked to go back into the classroom and deal with eight-year-olds and nine-year-olds with incredible amounts of energy. Mm -hmm. And uh, these uh, instructors, as well-intended as they are and were, uh, they approached education from the, the... training that they received 50 40 years, years ago or 50, right uh and and they weren't equipped to deal with the dynamics of uh 21st century children uh in a classroom and the idea that that reading writing and arithmetic is just reading writing and, and arithmetic simply isn't true the approach is important and 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 i don't want this to become a a a forum on education, but I do think that there's a theological component to what we're talking about uh, as we talk about educating our children and preparing them for the world in the 21st century. After all, the the, the, the black church uh, is not just the hub of, of, of spiritual enlightenment. The black church has a history of being the hub of Every kind of, of enlightenment, enlightenment right. uh, that you can think of, uh, it, it, it has been the hub of social activity. Yes. It has been the hub of community involvement, and it has been the hub of education. Still, in 2018, uh, churches across the length and breadth of this country support public education, either by providing uh, education within uh, their own schools that they have developed or by supporting education uh, through scholarships and, 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 and financial uh, stipends to help people to further their education. So education is definitely a part of church life. And I, I, I don't think that it is inappropriate 
for us to uh, say, well, we're doing this anyway. We're playing a role. We ought to at least have a voice in what education looks like as we go further down the road. Without a question, and the uh, and really, I guess the nexus or core of that discussion and that voice in education is how will we partner, or how will we, with an entrepreneurial mindset, do something about the state of education in our community? Because the bottom line, it's it's our kids that are suffering, um, so we have a stake naturally. Now, the question is, what can we and what will we do about it? Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I didn't want to spend as much time on that <laughs> as we did, but but I think it's a valuable discussion, and we'll probably come back to it again at some point in the future. Uh, Go to the next episode to hear part two of this podcast.